And I was just so obsessed with competing in the bodybuilding competition that mm-hmm. nothing else mattered, even though like family and friends were like, hey, you're getting really slim like in a healthy way. But I was like, no, this is called sacrifice and hard work and dedication. Like once you enter the zone where everyone's like really obsessed with fitness, the influence is so strong that you think this is the new norm. Like you think this is healthy. Welcome to the catch up. Introducing your hosts, Eli Arith, Editor-in-Chief, and Jeffrey Kutnick, CEO, and apparently the only guy who takes this podcast seriously, of the craziest, most bestest, news-breaking, food-porn-peddling, viral website on the dot-coms, It's crazy when your future is decided by an algorithm. Dude, this pizza is fucking crazy! There's not one person in this entire world that believes you. Alright, and welcome to the catch-up. Jeff? Yo. Alright, probably the number one question I get asked as a, as a quote-unquote food beast is how do you, Eli, stay fit with everything you guys eat? Same. That's a loaded question. Mainly because we're not fit. And we're not, yeah. <laughs> First off, we're not fit. Let me take off my shirt. You see the belly pour over. It is what it is. But I figured we should just do an entire podcast about body image, fitness, and kind of like the, really it's kind of a fucked up relationship we have with food. Sure. On, off, the whole thing. So what better guest? Then our friend Ann Fung, she's a fitness instructor who's immensely vulnerable online about her body and her story. She has tons of followers who, who kind of look at her for both advice, for wellness, for food. I love like that's how we know Ann is just by being a foodie. Like at the end of the day, like that's why I like what you have to say, Ann. You know what I'm Aww. saying? So welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thank you, guys. Pleasure and honor to be here. It's an honor to have you. But before we jump in, and Anna's going to help me with this conversation, I got to hijack a little bit. Last week, we had an episode entirely around first dates. 100 first dates. Great guests. A lot of fun. We were asking people. We're trying to find out where the best places to eat are on your first date, what to do on a first date. And most interestingly, what people seem to latch on to... You guys at home. Who pays? Who pays for stuff? Who pays for stuff on not and not just the first date, but first dates. As you're as you're getting to know someone, what what's the ebb and flow for pulling out that debit card or credit card? <laughs> so we asked that question, we talked about it on the last podcast, and you guys went nuts on Instagram. <laughs> the, the story the amount of responses we got from that story was pretty pretty insane. So the the very specific question I asked on Instagram was when should girls pay for dinner dates? Question mark. Which is already, by the way, a loaded question. It's baity. <laughs> so it's very that's very baity. You didn't say you didn't say who should pay for what on first dates. Nah. I wanted I wanted I wanted the full strength of the Foobies followers to fucking flame our inbox. Um at Cloudberry Cuisine PH says, well, whenever she wants to make her man feel pampered. Okay. Not bad. Um, 
iReprints23 said, third date, and if they haven't provided the cookies. What does that mean? What are the cookies? What are is the that cookies? Se- is that a sex thing? Is uh, that, is I that think, the nookie? I, I think that's you could, you could assume that, yeah. Is that the nookie? This is interesting because JP, your man, is also in the room. So I'm... <laughs> Well, because and like on, on your first dates with JP, how did that how did that go down? We went to the gym. Your, your first date was at the gym. Your first yeah. dates were at the gym. Yeah, so we were uh, we started talking over social media, and we were talking for a month, and then he flew down to meet me. I went to pick him up at the Long Beach airport, and the first thing we did was we went to the gym. What? Okay, when you guys were talking, damn, you this is great. <laughs> So you guys are talking on DM over Instagram or something like that? Yeah, and then he JP, slid in. He just flew? He flew? After a month, yeah. Okay. But were you guys, would you say you were dating at that point? Or was it just like, I'm coming down to build a network and fun, whatever? <laughs> like, I, it's going to sound so corny, but I had already fallen in love with him before I even met him. Damn. I felt like our communication was so strong and I wasn't getting catfish. He wasn't getting catfish. We knew exactly what we looked like. We FaceTime, text, called. Like, we knew each other before we even met. Damn. So, okay. So, you pick him up at the airport and you drive straight to the 24 hour fitness or? It was at the gym I was working at in Long Beach. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, that is the date? That Wait, but so he date. was down in Long. So, you guys eventually ate, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you do? Okay. So, that's, that's my question. <laughs> After you guys went to the gym, we awesome. went to Halal, guys. Okay. Hey. Like, did JP pull, did JP pull out his card and pay for the for? Yeah, he offered. I'm, I'm assuming so because he's a gentleman. Yeah, for sure. But that's but that thing that term being a gentleman like that's no, it's also loaded. loaded. That's not fair. That's yeah, also that's loaded. Fair. He doesn't have to pay. He doesn't have like I don't think it should be an assumption. Right. right. But I think it's a nice thing to do whether it was JP or you yeah. and so I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious about how you felt toward your first dates with JP? Was that something where you were going to chip in right away? In the podcast, Eli, last week, you talked about how if someone, if your girl paid for dinner, you might chip in for dessert, kind of like, he, you know, there's an ebb and flow to it. So yeah. how was it in the beginning with you? So when he told me he had booked his flight to come down and meet me, mm. I was like, wow, like he's taking the time and effort and his own funds to do that. Yeah. So I went and I booked him an Airbnb. So I paid for him for a place for him to stay. And I told him, and he was like, you didn't have to do that. And I was like, I know, but I wanted to. Like it's 50-50 with me. Like mm. I don't need you to pay for me. I could pay for myself. You know what I mean? That's so tight, at the very beginning of our relationship, it was already even. Mm. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like, oh, he's going to come down and spend all this money and time and I'm just getting this like, you know, awesome date or whatever. I was like, you know, you're going to come down and meet me. I'm going to take care of you too. I like that. That's baller. Yeah. That's baller. Okay. That's, that's probably the best way you guys could have answered that. Anne's looking over at JP like, is that correct? <laughs> no. No, it's correct. It feels it feels. It's correct. always correct. Okay. Uh, a couple more that are kind of funny. Um, I'm going to butcher this. I've, uh, man, when people's names run together on Instagram, I, I don't know where the first name starts <laughs> and the last name. Uh, anyway, someone said, when they feel like they're in the friend zone, ha, 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 ha. They pick- get- so you pay so for- So the girl's going to pay to be in the friend zone? Yeah, I don't get it. Maybe she means like- uh, if you want to friend zone the person, that's when the girl can pay. So like, there's no like, hey, don't worry, I don't want you to. I don't know. My favorite response was this 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 girl that said when their man's car declines. Oh man, <laughs> it happens. 
Which, yo, happened. Then you got to pull out and pay. Yeah. You got to do Real it. Real talk, it's happened to all of us. Something, so. yo, it's the worst. That's the worst. But it's also like mad respect to the servers who can bring up the that your card is declined <laughs> in a really like classy way. Like, oh, hey, Sorry. you have a call in the back? That's the nicest way they could do it. Like, you got a call. And then when you go back, they're like, there's no fucking call. Your, your Amex is declined. <laughs> like, that's the move. Um, anyway, thanks, thanks for everyone who mm-hmm. was chiming into that podcast. Take a listen to last week's. Um, which was about our guest that went has been on over a hundred first dates. It's it's a good one. Too many first dates, if you ask me. But <laughs> um, guys, keep thank you for those, and make sure you do leave a review in the iTunes store. It really helps, and appreciate everyone who shares the podcast in your Insta stories. That's dope, um, regardless of where you're listening to. Speaking of our fucked up relationship with food, and how did you even get into fitness? Like before you met JP, before all this, like what? How did you get into fitness? So back in the day in 2011, I graduated from college, was trying to uh, climb the corporate ladder. I thought, you know, if I worked in like a suit and tie kind of an environment, I made it in life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then somehow I started working at a mortgage company. I saw it on a Craigslist ad or something. It was either that or one of like my friends at the gym. She was like, my work's hiring. And I should have known something was weird because when I applied for the job, they asked for a photo. And it's kind of like, when you work for a mortgage company, why do you send in a photo of yourself? You know what I mean? That's weird. But I was like, okay, whatever. And then so I sent it in and with no experience, I got a job as a junior loan processor. I know, right? Wow, that's, wait, that's a little, that's what did you study in college? Business, entertainment, tourism, management. I mean, <laughs> it's a little sus they asked for a picture. Picture, yeah. But Everyone, you had the qualifications-ish. Ish, yeah. But literally my old job was like Wolf of Wall Street. Everyone was like making tons of money, doing drugs in the bathroom, taking trips. Like, it was wild. And so what? What pushed you over? And it sounds like you were already going to a gym at that time because yeah. your friend had introduced you to that job. So what made you think about fitness as a career, even as you were kind of in that Wolf of Wall Street setting? So I really thought if I made enough money, if I had the image, the cars, the clothes, the fancy purses, I would be super happy, right? But after a year and a half, every day when my alarm went off, I was like, why am I going to this job? I don't like it. I kind of hate it. I don't like my manager. I don't like half the people who work there anyways, you know? So the only thing that was really keeping me sane was me going to the gym on my lunch breaks. And I just, I've always been an athlete growing up, playing high school sports. So... I decided to look for another job while I was still working at my corporate job. And I think they caught on because like my work performance wasn't doing so well. So then my manager called me in and he was like, hey, Anne, I noticed your performance hasn't been well. You're not all here. And like, you know, I think we just had to let you go. And I was like, okay. I was (laughs) like, okay. It's, It's not like I wanted to stay anyways. You know what I mean? So I thought, okay, I really enjoy fitness. I need a job, graduate college. You know, what am I going to do now? So I figured, let me still go the corporate route. Let me get a job at the gym and slowly work my way up. Like, let me do a district manager, GM, whatever. I was really stuck on this title of being a manager or being some type of executive role because I think growing up in the Asian household and just seeing everything my parents went through, I really wanted to make it to make them proud Mm -hmm. and to make my parents feel like all their efforts weren't wasted. You know what I mean? I was like, I got to make it. I got to make it. Not what, just for me, but for them. Were they stoked about your first job? Yeah, like they loved it. Corporate? Cool. Yeah. And then when I was unemployed for a year, 
I still told them I was going to work. I just left the house every day. I was just like, I'm going to work. My my parents had no idea I didn't have a job for a year. Like I would just go to like coffee shops and go figure different things out. Even when I was working at the gym, they didn't know I was working at the gym. My dad till this day didn't have a clue I worked at Crunch. I was working front Uh-oh. desk rep, yeah. And then when I decided, um, it was when I was working and I noticed all the personal trainers, every single week they had like their weekly meetings with all the trainers. And I was like looking at people and I was like, I can do that, you know? I was like, I can do that. So I started researching like what I needed to do to become a personal trainer. And then I went and got my certification. Failed the first attempt, <laughs> by the way. I failed by three points. I was so mad at myself. I was just like, you failed, you know? And then I was like, dang it, now I gotta spend money to retake it. And of course I passed the next time. Is that a hard test? Um, if you say the material's not. Okay. If you're if you're good with like anatomy, uh-huh. like you'll do great. But I mean, I came from a business background. Like I have no idea what anatomy is, you know. Yeah. So I passed that, and then I I slowly just started building my clientele. It was tough though, being your own boss, going from like a corporate, well-paying job to working on your own, trying to get clientele when you don't even have a name in the industry. It, it was rough. Tell me, well, so what was the domino for you to go, because were you working at Crunch, mm-hmm. also training, was there a tipping point where you were just like, I got to get away from this desk, I got to pursue training, and this is what I'm going to do, was there a middle ground where you still maintain that job while you were training, like, what was the different dominoes that led you to be, like, a full-time trainer? So when I was working there... I decided I was gonna compete for Miss Vietnam. And the reason why I decided to do that was it was something I always wanted to do. And I was 25 at the time. And when you're 26, that's the last age that you can compete. compete. Yeah, because once you hit 26, I guess you're old or whatever, you know what I mean? And like at that point, I just realized I spent so much of my time like in this corporate setting and trying to chase all these ideals that I thought I should live my life by. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go and compete for Miss Vietnam. And then I was like watching people at work and I was like, I don't want to be a manager. I don't want to just run numbers and I don't want to do like gym tours and I don't want to just do all this like boring stuff for the rest of my life. So then I quit after like three months. I was just like, I'm, I'm quitting. I, I wrote a letter and I just left it there. And yeah, I was pretty YOLO at that point. I was, just like, <laughs> I was like, what do I have to lose? Like, they're not going to miss me if I don't work here. They're just going to hire somebody else. You was, know? was a part of competing... Well, first, what's what's Miss Vietnam? Yeah. So Miss Vietnam of Southern California, it's a scholastic pageant. Mm. Basically, you have to be a student or you graduated. You have to be of some Vietnamese descent. And this pageant is one of the few pageants that's ran by students. Mm. So everything's very fair. You're not like paying the judges to win or anything. Everything is just based on you, your education, your mind, how you speak, your passion, so on and so forth. And so was there, was there a part of... You said you wanted to enter it for a long time. Yeah. Was there also, if I enter this pageant, if I win, that also helps me build a personal brand for the training that I want to do? Was that a part of it at all? Or were those two very separate goals of, hey, I want to compete for Miss Vietnam because I'm Vietnamese and this is a cool thing? Mm-hmm. Or was it a, a part of a larger personal brand? 
It was separate at the beginning because in Vietnamese culture, women, they don't lift weights. They're mm. very gentle, very timid, submissive, soft-spoken. And me, I'm like, I got muscles, I'm outspoken, <laughs> you know? So I completely like clash with the ideals of what a Vietnamese woman should be. So when mm. I competed, it was mainly because it was something I always wanted to do, but I was so scared that I wasn't Vietnamese enough and that I wasn't acceptable to the community. How would they view someone like me? But I was I was doing it for myself and for all the other little girls who never felt like they were Vietnamese enough or pretty enough or skinny enough. And I just wanted to see if I was enough. Like I wanted to prove to myself like, you can do this. You can do anything you want to do. So then when I competed during the talent section, I wanted to do weight training, but I decided to do Polynesian Polynesian dancing, which I don't know how to do, but I know, I know. The look in your face says it all, but it's beautiful. It's gentle. It's pretty, right? Mm. So I asked my friend AP's sister to teach me this whole routine. I sucked so bad. I couldn't even, oh, it was horrible. And literally two weeks before the um, final rehearsal, I went to practice and I was like, I can't do this. I was like, I can't do Polynesian dancing. It's not me. And then they asked me, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to do weightlifting. And they're like, you're going to do weightlifting at a pageant? And I was like, yeah. So then that's literally what I did. Like I brought on Olympic weights. And then I was supposed to squat a guy on my shoulders because he was like, Hell yeah. I think he was like 90 pounds. <laughs> Hell yeah. And the night before the pageant, I put him on my shoulders, right? He was about five foot one, five foot two, maybe like not even 100 pounds. So I did it, but then I ended up spraining my neck literally the night before. Oh, no. Yeah, so next day I went to like the chiropractor. He was like, yeah, you sprained your neck. Like you really need to be careful. The whole day of the pageant, I'm like icing myself in pain. And then they, everyone just gave me hella ibuprofen. And they're like, it's going to be Wait, so okay. what did you do for the pageant? I, I lifted not a man, even though I wanted to. I thought that would be so cool. Bad you just ass. see this like guy come, like, and then I just put him on my shoulder and I just squat him. There's a video somewhere. I need to find it. But I ended up just doing like a regular barbell and putting weights on it. I did some push-ups on stage. I did squats and like, I was so nervous because imagine like hundreds of Vietnamese people, your parents in the audience, everyone looking at you. And this was never done before. Like no contestant in all of the history of this pageant has ever weightlifted on stage. But it was so satisfying. And I was just like, yes, like you have to live in your truth. I wasn't going to do something just to please people and then walk away from this pageant like, oh, what if I just did what I wanted, you know? Give me some context. What did the other competitors do during this performance section? Uh, sing, dance, play the piano. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> That's badass. I do That's wish also very sh- badass. Yeah. They're, they're, they're all badass, but like, I like that yo- you carried that YOLO mentality from yeah. like quitting your job, doing it, prepping for how else did you prep for Miss Vietnam? We went through three months of practice. So every weekend for three months, we had to learn how to walk, learn how to talk. And I'm not the best at Vietnamese. I can speak Vietnamese to my parents, to people, relatives, but I was so nervous because I don't speak like those newscasters on TV, but I did what I could, you know, and I was happy with it. How do you, there's an interesting juxtaposition happening because I get that pageants can also be a, a really big motivator for self-confidence and 
in a way breaking out of your shell because you're going to showcase yourself in front of tons of people in front of your community which i think is really interesting but then at the same time there are gender uh norms attached to pageants Mm -hmm. to where like yes you did weightlifting on a stage but it's at the same time where all other vietnamese women are kind of show showcasing their womenly talents and Mm -hmm. singing and dancing and which are all great, by the way, which, which aren't restricted to gender. But, like, how do you feel about the pageant after the fact? Do you, Would you recommend the girls that are in Anne's army, the girls that mm. follow you on Instagram? Is that something where you kind of look back at Miss Vietnam or a pageant like Miss Vietnam? Mm-hmm. And, like, this was a positive and beneficial thing for for other people or was it just good for Anne at that time? I think it was a really great experience and I would definitely do it again if one day I had a daughter and she wanted to do the same exact pageant. I would recommend this one just because it's ran by students and it's genuine. There's no, like, it's not about what you look like. It's about what you provide to the community and who you are as a person. Like, I thought the pageant was great afterwards. I definitely really received a lot of criticism. There was people who said, I look manly. I shouldn't have done that. My body type's not the, not the ideal, so on and so forth. And after I won, there were so many times where I asked people in the community, like, can I come and talk about like my fitness stance and how like I can help empower women or can I do a photo shoot regarding fitness? And I got so much pushback because they're like, no, it's not, it's not the right time or, oh, it's not the right body type or whatever. So even though I won, like I realized that just because you're Miss Vietnam, people still aren't going to give you the credit that you deserve and people still aren't going to respect what you believe in and people aren't going to accept your body type. But that only ignited my fire even more to when I got my certification and when I started building my clientele, I wanted to show women like, hey, you can do and look however you want. Don't let anyone stop you. Like after the pageant, I tried out for... um, it's like this fashion show. It's, oh, Vit, Vit Fashion Week, right? Mm-hmm. I tried out, didn't make it. I was too big. Wow. Yeah. And that was actually when JP first flew down. He went to my audition with me. And everyone else was so, like, skinny compared to me. And, like, I still went there. I still strutted my stuff. I still had hopes that I would get an opportunity to show my type of body type in the show. But, unfortunately they're still stuck in their ways. You know what I mean? So competing in the pageant, it can do a lot for like your mindset and like your confidence. But if you don't stay strong, when you get that pushback, when people are saying like, we don't like your body, you have to stay strong. You said you've been doing sports since you were really young. Mm -hmm. Have you always been fit or what you would consider fit? Dang, that's a tough one. I would say I was active, but mentally and emotionally, I don't think I've, been fit until maybe 2016. That's so awesome that your definition of fitness includes mental. the mental and emotional side because I think that's something that realistically the average person never puts together but is one of the most def- defining aspects of if you're able to quote unquote stay fit, get fit, be fit is mm-hmm. going to be how you treat yourself, how you think of yourself. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I just wanted to make that comment real quick because I didn't expect you to bring in the mental and emotional side into your definition, but that is amazing that it does. Well, because on your Instagram, there's a we haven't talked about it personally, but I like you're showing your your pageant body, and mm-hmm. then you show your current body, and you you talk very much about how looking back at your pageant body that was almost unhealthy or. I'd love to hear more about why you think it's unhealthy and what's what's changed because I feel like that's a good takeaway from the pageant outside right. of your self-confidence of showing that you could win something by being yourself. Right. But what parts of it weren't yourself? Yeah. And then like how is that changing now? So there is three – there's actually three different – I've been through so many different body types within these last couple years and that's why – my mental and emotional well-being when it comes to fitness is a lot better. I feel much more grounded. When I was competing for Miss Vietnam, I felt like I was healthy at that point. Like mentally, I was still working on myself. After I did Miss Vietnam, I competed in a bodybuilding contest. And that's probably like the super shredded picture that you saw. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was in like a red bikini. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That's the one. That's the one. So I was maybe... God, like seven, eight percent body fat. I was so lean. Like I went on a 13 week prep where I ate basically tilapia and asparagus six times a day. Damn. I was working out two times a day, lifting for an hour, doing stairmaster or running for an hour for 13 weeks. I was going seven days no carbs. I was taking fat burners every day. How did you feel physically and then mentally? <laughs> Physically, I I honestly felt like a little kid watching Baby Shark. I was just like hypnotized. I was oh, just shit. in this different zone. And I was just so obsessed with competing in the bodybuilding competition that mm-hmm. nothing else mattered. Even though like family and friends were like, hey, you're getting really slim, like in an unhealthy way. But I was like, no, this is called sacrifice and hard work and dedication. Like once you enter the zone where everyone's like really obsessed with fitness, the influence is so strong that you think this is the new norm. Like you think this is healthy. Yeah. You know, but for me, I went from 138 pounds to 123 within 13 weeks. Like I was stick and bones on stage, but that's, that's what they want to see. You know what I mean? Like I had abs, I had definition everywhere. And I want, I want two first place trophies in that um, competition. Right. Literally within a week, I gained almost 30 pounds. Back. Like my body rebounded like that. And it was really rough because when you're extreme dieting for so long and then you start putting normal food back into your system, I remember my first meal, like my digestive system, I was in so much pain. Like it hurt to just even eat regular food that had a little bit of oil in it. Wow. You know, and the crazy part is so many people do these crazy diets or they do these competitions because they think, oh, if I look a certain way, if I'm shredded, like I'm going to have this really great life, but it's just not sustainable whatsoever. I mean, how do you feel about that being like it's a competition where the best person wins and you're on a pedestal literally for looking the best. But if that's what you have to go through and feel and that's essentially if people ever look up to that competition mm-hmm. is that healthy or scary like that feels like a really crazy precedent to set and people don't look real yeah. like i also it might be a super dumb question why is everyone super like crazy tanner and bronzer it's so you can see your definition imagine <laughs> if you're pale on stage you can't see like your eight true. pack you know what i mean true okay 
So it's like, it definitely is a sport and it taught me so much and I respect people who do it for a living. But at the same time, getting out of that industry and really opening my eyes to see it, a lot of times it's just we're, we're striving for acceptance. We want people to be like, you're the best, you're amazing, your body's so good. And it doesn't matter how good your heart is, it doesn't matter how mm -hmm. kind of a person, what you're doing for the world. If you have the best looking body, you win. But that's it. it yeah. They care about what you look like. Before we go into the competition, what were you actually consuming in preparation for this competition? So you mentioned kind of the food, but you mentioned fat burners. Like, what were all the things that you were ingesting mm -hmm. in preparation for that style of uh, bodybuilding competition? So I was basically eating air for 13 weeks. Just imagine eating tilapia and asparagus all the time and either having protein shakes, basically protein shakes, tilapia, asparagus. I wasn't allowed to eat fruit. Because oh, there's, no oh. there's sugar in there. So I had a really bad complex with fruit afterwards because I was like, I can't eat fruit because I'm going to get fat. Like, it was really bad. Um, fat burners, I literally took them every day. I don't what, know if you guys ever took fat burners what, before. What is a fat Stuff burner? Stuff at 7-Eleven at the counter? Stuff like that. There's a bunch of fat burners everywhere these days. But what it does is it gives you an immense amount of energy. So when you're doing cardio, you feel like you're unstoppable. Like you have so much energy energy that you just keep going. But I remember my first time taking fat burners. I didn't realize I should have tested my tolerance. So I took two pills and I felt like I wanted to throw up. Like I just had so much energy in me. I started having like ticks and like just shivering everywhere. And it was wild. And until I burnt off that energy, like that was in my system. And it suppresses your appetite, it burns fat. So when you're constantly taking it, you're shredding your body fat. Um, carb cycling, I wasn't on the plan that I was on. The most days I went without carbs was seven days. And let me tell you, that shit was hard. <laughs> Dude, cause everything has a carb in it. Mm -hmm. Like fruit, so you, you, no sugar, but also there's carb or whatever. That's six, seven days without any sort of carb is yeah so what kept me going was the caffeine the fat burners like because i was so tired and like mentally drained what helped was the fat burners and the energy drinks and the coffee i swear that's how, a foodie, <laughs> that sounds so unhealthy yeah. I, I again and we we eli and i talk about this up on the pot all the time we're not nutritionists we don't know what healthy is but I don't know what a fat burner is from a science perspective. If that's ginseng and caffeine and whatever it is to up your mood and up the energy that you feel. I don't know what you're sacrificing when you're taking that. I don't know what you're sacrificing when, when you're not eating things like fruit. I've, I have no idea. I'm not a nutritionist. But a diet of, of, ca of mostly caffeine energy supplements not good that yeah. yeah that just sounds that sounds crazy like is there any part of what you were doing then from a consumption standpoint that you thought is you think is still good now no i would never compete again like ever because when i really think about it i sacrifice so much time away from my parents 
from meals with my family. I was always in the gym. At night, I was laying in bed, scrolling through Instagram, comparing my body to other bodies. Like I was just so obsessed with fitness. And I just, I would never wanna, I would never want to put myself back in that position. And then when you really look at it, you're sacrificing everything for a plastic piece of trophy that four strangers who are judges are judging your body and telling you if you're worth the $5 plastic trophy or not. That's what it comes down to. But we as a society, we, we put praise on these people who look a certain way, have a certain body, have a certain lifestyle, house, cars, whatever. And it's just like crazy to me that we as humans put ourselves through that. And like young kids are eating this up. Like especially with fitness being so big on social media these days, mm. people look at these influencers or these people who have nice bodies, but they don't realize what are these people doing behind the scenes that you don't know, right? So I, I when I was competing, I didn't publicly talk about like, oh, I was taking fat burners all the time. I was doing this and that. I was so consumed with, I'm working hard, I'm working hard because I want to reach this goal. But then when I took myself away from it and really allowed myself to look at the situation, like I spent two grand on my first show, $2,000. I could have gone and traveled the world for like a month. I could have gained new experiences. But it's like, it's this just obsession with how you look. And I just, once you're out, it just, it feels a lot better. Is there anything you can share about where that motivation came from to drive yourself to those extremes of those looks? Like where did that motivation come from? For you specifically, because mm-hmm. I'm looking across the table at a beautiful person and a beautiful girl. Oh, thank you. And to to think that someone who has that who have who have good looks is also still having self doubt and self confidence is there's a lot of other people thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. So where did that? Where did that motivation to drive yourself to those extremes come from? And how do we encourage with this dialogue and this conversation for people to not have that motivation? The first time I ever saw a bikini competition, like a bodybuilding one, I was actually at my corporate job. That's when I was like looking at different ways for me to venture into fitness. And I was like, whoa, like all these women are so they're shredded they're in these beautiful bikinis they have on jewelry and makeup and it's that first image where you're like wow and you're so impressed with it but then I've learned that not everything that shines is gold and I've learned the hard way you know so when I saw that me being the person that I am I'm like I could do that you know like just with me being a trainer I can do that so I was like I can do that. So that's why I wanted to challenge myself because this was like an unknown to me. This was a whole new world. Mm. So then I was like, okay, let me see if I can do it. Just like with Miss Vietnam, let me see if I can do it. Personal training, let me see if I can do it. Like I was really on this, I can do anything, so let me try. And with me, when I do something, I do it 110%. If I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna lose because someone was better than me, not because I didn't give my all. So it's easy to talk about Instagram and social media as like a negative proponent of continuing to push a certain like body image or whatever. Like you follow a bunch of models, they all kind of like they all start to blend together mm-hmm. and they accentuate the same body parts, the same stuff. And people that are sitting at home, if it's a young girl looking at it, they're like, damn, that's what someone looks like. Young men at home, 
also look at those females like that's what they should look like. I wonder if there are any positives to fitness Instagram to health Instagram because for example when I almost using Instagram as an accountability buddy Mm -hmm. for me I went on a weight loss challenge with a buddy of mine and the loser had to take a picture of themselves and put it on Instagram shirtless at the end of 30 days that accountability that conversation I had with my followers on Instagram was enough to make me win that championship I learned a lot about health in the process I did some things that some people could consider unhealthy, but I also learned about diets that I enjoyed. And it was more positive than negative to me because I still follow a particular diet. I've learned, I've maintained some of that that weight loss. Um, are there other positives to like Instagram and social media that aren't just like the negative perpetuation of like body image and f- fake bullshit on there? I, I feel that there's a lot of positive because, I mean, I have my career because of social media, you know, and I allowed myself to be open and connect with people. 100% of my clientele is from my Instagram. Mm. So I've been able to connect with so many people from social media, and that's like the best part. And I think that you have, it's the way you use social media. If you're following a bunch of people and comparing your lives to them because they have a better, quote unquote, better life than you, then that can be a negative. But if you're finding people who are sharing their stories and you feel like you can relate to them and you feel good reading their stories and you can like make genuine connections, I think that's how positive it can be. But it's up to you. It's it's literally like fitness. It can either be something that's gonna benefit your life or it can destroy your life. Just with everything, even with food. If you eat the right foods in a balanced way, it'll prolong your life. If you're just eating like fast food every day and not being active, it can destroy your life. So really, it just depends on how you use social media. Because it feels like to me, Eli, when you were using Instagram, you're almost using Instagram as your personal trainer. Yeah. You're using it as a level of accountability that it wasn't a person saying do this rep or do this whatever but you knew at the end of the day that you had to prove something to somebody that somebody was more than yourself it was your entire social audience in case you lost this challenge but to me like and as a personal trainer that to me seems like one of the best benefits of being a personal trainer is for people like Eli and I who may not have the day-to-day motivation to do what we need to do to be a bit fit. Dude, my relationship with food and my relationship with fitness is so I can continue to eat food. Like that's that's my motivation. Like if I if I could eat whatever I wanted and my body would never feel any different, I, why the fuck would I go to the gym? <laughs> like dumb. Why would I go? Like I don't. I'm happy with how I look, but I know that there's more about. It's more than just how you look. Mm-hmm. You know that the insides mean something. And so genuinely, not even philosophically, like genuinely inside, like your cardiovascular got to be strong all the time. Your heart. And your heart, like so much stuff that like, yes. So that's why it's such a loaded question when people walk up to me in the gym, like, damn, how you stay so like, basically they're just saying I'm not fucking ob- like crazy visually obese. That's what they're saying. They know, like when someone jacked at the gym walks up to me and this happens, Funny, like the only place I get recognized, I get recognized nowhere, but I get recognized at the gym because I think like people have that same bucked up relationship with food that I do. So they walk up to me and they're like, I was doing back one day. It was Monday this week. This gentleman walks up to me. 
really fit dude good looking dude walks up and he just stares at me i take out my headphone and he goes what's up brother i love the way you eat <laughs> and i'm like okay cool and i and he was like i follow you guys on instagram i was like okay tight like yeah that's awesome thank you and then he goes what you working out today brother and i'm like i probably sound like a meek person i'm like my bad <laughs> and then and then there's also, like a, also very specific yeah he was like he was like yeah man like i come here because i want to eat what you eat but i gotta shred it off here so then there was like an awkwardness where i'm like what are you working out today because <laughs> <laughs> he's still standing there i'm sitting down on the machine and he's just like walking up to me and then he goes I'm working out everything today, brother. Like, uh, I missed out Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I had big meals over the weekend, so I'm here putting in that work. And I'm like, cool. And then, but then I realized, I was like, yo, like, we're here for kind of a similar thing. I'm here because I have a fucked up relationship for food with food. Today, I'm going to be eating some crazy stuff. I'm going to eat with the people I love. And I don't want to sacrifice that part. So I'm here at 6 a.m., six to eight and i'm gonna do whatever workout i know and that dude's here for pretty much the same reason he's probably gonna go work his job that day he's here early and it's this weird relationship like that is my relationship for everyone listening like my relationship with food is a yo-yo relationship it's a yin and yang like when i growing up i did not worry or think about my weight i was active i played basketball and it wasn't until my junior year of high school that i ever thought about my weight it's when i got kicked off the basketball team i was lucky enough to have a car and i discovered breakfast burritos <laughs> and then i just gained 20 pounds and i didn't notice until someone at school was just like damn bro putting on the lbs i can see your titties through your shirt i'm like what the fuck i never it never clicked in my head that i could gain weight or it would affect how people saw me sure and and that person though being funny really did like look past everything i had as a quality of a human being and was judging based on my size and for the rest of my senior year of high school i was really self-conscious about it i would double up on shirts because i didn't want people to see these nice breasts of mine like i would double up on like what i would wear i started thinking combing my hair different to get pe like the self-confidence tied to how much I, and then I stopped eating I still love breakfast burritos and then as soon as I got into college I took control of it but it was in an unhealthy way and I yo-yoed the other way where I lost 30 pounds I was sticking bones and I would eat one meal a day I was intermittent fasting but didn't know it and it wasn't nutrient dense foods I was just like I'm gonna go Lee's sandwich and I'm gonna have one tuna croissant sandwich and that's going to be my meal for the day and i shed all this weight but i don't know how i felt during that time like i was drinking and it all gets mixed up into that so the idea is like i still have ironically enough that's the year before we all started food beast and like the the, the year where i'm literally eating one meal a day sticking bones stop eating those breakfast burritos but it was that yo-yo and that relationship with food it's like is food just a drug that is the hardest thing to kick? Like, can you ever, you can't quit food the way you can just quit smoking. Because you can stop smoking eventually. It's hard. It's challenging. If you're addicted to cigarettes, it's hard. If you're addicted to alcohol, it's hard. But at the end of the day, 
if you never smoked another cigarette in your life and you never drank another drink in your life, you'd be good. Like you don't need to drink alcohol. You don't need to smoke whatever. You need to eat food. And the spectrum of health food, nutrient-dense food to just food that tastes good and so forth is so vast and convoluted that you can you ever have a true healthy relationship with food? I th- I think you can, but what what food has going for it or or what food has against you is the fact that even if you're going to cut lots of food out, you still need it. Mm. So the three of us in this room right now, we don't need the cigarette, but we're going to need sustenance, right? Mm-hmm. The amount of sustenance, debatable. We can talk about that for literally years. But there's an element of necessity on some level there, which we're never going to truly get out of. Like, none of us are going to just eat vitamins and nutrients. Like, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Yeah. I think the second thing it has going for it, which makes it so insanely difficult to stop. And I would argue that I'm probably addicted to food in a way that might be unhealthy if you looked at it under a microscope. If you looked at it in a scientific laboratory setting and and isolated my habits only because it is the only way I really socialize. Not the only way, the majority way. Like, no, it's true though. Like <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of the last 10 times I met up with a family member, a friend or someone else, even if it's I'm meeting with my good friend David for a hike in Palos Verdes, the meal is planned after. Yeah, where are we eating at? Yeah, it's, it's when, I'm, when I'm trying to catch up with my parents uh, telling just just to see my parents it's always over dinner it's all and part of that's maybe structured because of my work day or whatever but my entire life socially is built on food and i love it mm-hmm. I, because you're able to share something hopefully that you're all enjoying and it's also something to do my parents like golf (laughs) like i don't i don't know what i would do as an activity with my parents we we watch movies we we go see theater sometimes like but i don't have a a activity where i'm just like yeah my mom and dad we like go on walks (laughs) i don't have anything like that so the food is what is the commonality that brings us together. And even if we don't have a ton to say, allows me to marinate, sit on it. What happened to this day? Like I'm putting something in my, in my body that I want to and that I feel like I need to. And on top of it, I happen to be sitting across the table with people I care about. Like that's never going to go away ever for me. Because I'm so addicted to the social connectivity of what it brings. Yeah. Could I do a better job of not ordering the wings as an appetizer while sitting at that table? Fuck yeah. All, yeah. All, totally. I could probably be better at almost every decision that I make. But to me, like, <laughs> that's the nicotine for me is the social connection. I'm never going to stop meeting up with people. Yeah. That was the hardest part during like a weight loss challenge was 
the the anxiety of someone asking me if they want to go out to eat. Yeah. Like if I didn't see anyone for 30 days, it'd be pretty easy. I would just like go about my business, eat the health food that I have at home. But I never, again, I never want to be the dude that's like, I don't want to go to dinner with you right. or I don't want to do this. And being out there is like a drug, man. Food is good. Food is delicious. Outback Steakhouse got some great appetizers. Like I'm not going to not have that baked potato twice. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's pretty crazy for me and not not to go on a super tangent, but the reason that I am social, that I'm a gregarious person, that I invest so much in friendships is actually a catalyst of body image. Hmm. When I was when I was in middle school, I, I was a chubster. You were tubby, bro. I've seen uh, yeah, yeah, you should yeah, you've definitely seen them. They're at the house. Yeah. And it's one of those things where middle school and high school, as your brain is developing, as you're developing real friendships for the first time, as you're going through fucking puberty, as you're like liking girls for the first all those things, guys or girls, whoever it is for you. It's such a crazy mindfuck of a time. And then on top of that, the same comment that you viscerally remember in high school, I think every one of us has a comment like that. Mm-hmm. What It might not be about body image. It might be about something else. But I, I can almost bet that every single one of us has it up about a body image of some kind. Too skinny, mm-hmm. too fat, mm-hmm. whatever, wide, whatever it is. And for me, it was because I was chubby. And, like, that actually burned into my personality so much that I was like, well, I'm going to make friends in middle school by being a comedian. I'm going to make friends in middle school by being super loyal. I'm going to, like, be able to talk to girls from being sociable and nice, Mm -hmm. right? And that's a big part of who I am today is being a sociable person of wanting to meet up with the various people in this room and breaking bread with them to be a good friend, to be loyal to them. But what's crazy to me is that catalyst, I think for me, as I was thinking about this podcast, were the negative body image comments that drove me to like, how else can I be accepted? Mm. And to have friends and to have a girlfriend. And so I think that's like, that's like the full circle for me, which is, Again, those body image comments, but then also that so you know my social setting of my friends and family is also driving the food that can cause those body image comments. Yeah. Do you, and so, what's your relationship with food like? It's a lot better now. <laughs> it's it's a lot better, but it's definitely taken a lot of work. Um, during 2016, during the summer, I was at the heaviest I've ever been. I didn't feel good about myself. And I was just so torn between being a foodie and Mm. being a fitness person. And I remember... When I first started hanging out with you guys, going to events. Yo, I, it's totally our fault. <laughs> Before you go into food, like, you were, you were the heaviest summer of your life you, was you also were, the summer you, you met Instagram, us. Instagram, you had met us. We started inviting you everywhere. I, yeah. don't think that's, I don't think that's a coincidence that we affected that. So partly our apologies. No, it, was, it definitely wasn't you guys. It was more so like I felt so when I first started hanging out with you guys, I was like, wow, like, 
I'm not like a foodie per se because I don't always post about food, but it was so awesome that you guys knew I loved food and I appreciate it. And I actually ate the food and not just took a photo and threw all the food away. Yeah, respect, respect. Not, not calling out 80% of influencers, but- But calling it out. But calling it out. I just, food with Michael. <laughs> I see you throwing shit in the trash can, fam. At me, bro. It just, uh, speaking, of, I just have to say that it really bums me out when I go to media events. I actually don't go to a lot of food media events unless it's Food Beast or it's my friend's business anymore. That's what's because up. when I see people take one photo or two and they throw away a whole plate of food, it's like you don't understand how much money these business owners had to put into that, how much money it costs to put on this event, or how many people are starving for the food that you're just so sure. quick to throw away. Mm-hmm. And you know, back in the day when I would talk to food influencers, they would say, well, this is my job or the um, the business is lucky that I'm coming to shoot or whatever, you know what I mean? And it's like, who are you to be so privileged to take food and just to treat it the way that you do? You know what I mean? So when I would go to food events, I would eat everything. And <laughs> that was definitely one thing that I had to learn because I felt bad if I didn't eat it, you know? Like growing up, you finish all the food on your plate. Like if your aunt or your uncle offered you food, you eat it because if you don't eat it, they feel sad. So that complex stuck with me even though I was in my like later 20s. So whenever you guys invited me to stuff and I got food, I would eat everything and I would go home and I would feel so tired and like my body would hurt. (laughs) But after a while, like I remember you guys invited me to like a Jack in the Box event and they gave us like $250 a gift card yeah. in that like cool little thing. Yeah, come to our events, players. <laughs> I, I legit had Jack in the Box every other day until I used up that gift card, and I had gained so much weight. But fast food is really addicting. Like the taste of it, and like you're just so used to it. And I was like, oh man, I really have to stop because I knew I was gaining a lot of weight. You know what I mean? So then I went from being like stick and bones competing in this bodybuilding thing and then I went to being like not healthy and like overeating so I was torn I was like okay I'm a fitness person I love fitness but I also love food so how am I gonna get this healthy balance between the two and I've learned that I just have to cut down my portions I can still go out and be social I just need to make smarter choices because if I don't I'm just gonna keep this habit going And I've learned along the way, the only way to break a quote unquote bad habit is to replace it with a better habit. Mm -hmm. So now when we go out, like me and JP, we we share. Like if something is not nutrient dense and we know it's not the greatest for us, we'll share it. So instead of ordering two big plates, we'll order one plate and then have something healthy like a salad, make sure we get some greens or something. You know, so I've lost 20 pounds since 2016. And the best part is I've kept it off. And that's something I've always struggled with. You talked about yo-yoing earlier. I was that person. Mm. Oh my God, summer's coming up. Let me get shredded or let me lose weight. And I would go on this stupid diet of like not eating carbs. And especially after I did bodybuilding competition, I knew exactly what to do to lose 20 pounds in a month. Like I knew all the unhealthy ways. So I just reverted back to old habits, get that quick fix, look really good and lean. And then literally when you rebound, you rebound so quick. And I'm pretty sure you guys know what body dysmorphia is. Like I, I what is that? So body dysmorphia is when you look in the mirror and you think you see an image of yourself that isn't actually there. So when I had still lost the weight, 
I had body dysmorphia. So I would look in the mirror and I would see myself at, as this overweight girl. But really, my body was fine. Oh, shit. And I just kept going through this cycle where I didn't like what I was looking at. And the more I looked on social media during that time, I was like, God, this girl's body is so much better than mine. Like, oh, my waist isn't small enough. My butt isn't big enough. Like, I was going through this cycle of following what I saw was the trend. So after I was being shredded, you guys know the whole slim, thick movement yeah, yeah, yeah. when you have a really tiny waist and like really big butt whether it's real or not because that's become a really big fat you know getting like sorry i'm, I'm like it's, vaguely aware it's the hourglass but, look it's like a the okay. really thin waist like you could wrap just your the claw of your hand around their waist and then their so butt like is like kim huge. like kim k is like kim basically k. like a kylie like jenner any, any yeah. jenner types it's yeah. a body type kind of based off that figure yeah so I tried doing that. I'm not going to lie. Like, I was eating more, making sure, like, my butt and my legs were really full while wearing, like, waist corsets so I can keep, like, my waist smaller. And I was just so tired because I felt like no matter how or who I tried looking like, I wasn't happy, you know? So I really had to just stop and really re rethink about who I was as a person. And like, I even told JP, there was a point where I wasn't enjoying training, mm. training myself and training my clients. I just felt really burnt out, especially when you are on social media and everyone's seen your body change and people make comments like, oh, you've been eating a lot of Jack in the Box or oh, you look like you had a lot of donuts. Like people are mean, you know? So when you're hearing all these comments and you're going through all this mental like warfare in your head, it's like, God, what's wrong with me? How did I allow myself to be so consumed with having a certain body image? Like, shoot, maybe next year, like the whole small waist, big butt's not going to be in anymore. And then what's the next thing? And what's the next you thing? You got to adjust your body for it. Exactly. And I feel like that's what so many people are doing these days. And remember when like Victoria's Secret was like the hottest body, everyone wanted to be like stick skinny. Mm -hmm. And then like the Kardashians and Jenners, everyone wanted to have like this small waist, big butt. And I really had to think about, okay, I'm going to be in my 40s, 50s, 60s before I know it. Like if I do have like butt injections or if I do certain things to my body, how am I gonna live in like my 50s and 60s? Like gravity's not gonna be my friend. Like all these surgeries that like people do, I don't think they realize what it's gonna ha what's gonna happen to them later on in their lives. All right, know? I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of questions. This is very fascinating to a naive guy. One, I've heard a lot of rumors about people in the fitness industry taking pictures of their body during one month when they're really fit, mm -hmm. holstering all that content and mm -hmm. doing whatever the fuck they want for the other 11 months, but they use those photos they took during that month and put it on Instagram the other months. Is that true? Do people do that? Definitely. That's what they do all the time? It's, it's basically oh, it's shit. basically like... That's just wild, son. It's basically like a food influencer going to an event, shooting like 10 photos exactly. and they're spacing it out. Yeah. People in the industry, the fitness industry, like... They Photoshop their bodies, they take content, and they just post old photos. Because a lot of times you see someone on social media and you see them in person and they don't look like their pictures. And it's like, what are you what are you teaching our younger generation? You know what I mean? That's what like plays in my head. I don't know if it's because I hit 30 or what, <laughs> but I think about the kids a lot. And that's why I always try to put out on my social media like what I would want my own kids to see. Okay. Thank you for being honest about that. I appreciate that. Learn something. Now, dumb guy question. The the really crazy, the the slim, thick, 
kind of trend you see on social and then you see all the really like parasitic comments underneath of like injection plastic surgery this shit are there like are there actual fitness things diet things people can achieve these looks naturally with or is literally every time you see that look like is kylie jenner is, is that just like an injection or or is it hereditary like are there people i mean that are just that's the body type your family that's you were the body born type with and you, and can you have and you can kind of adapt and accentuate but like there are certain people i mean just from knowing people and having conversations there are certain people that no ma- it feels like no matter what you do injection or surgery or otherwise it's they still won't accomplish a look if mm-hmm. they're drastically in another direction as right. far as what their body type is so for the record I'm all for plastic surgery. If you want to do it because it makes you happy, great. Do sure. whatever is best for you. But the only issue I have is when people get surgery and they put it off as hard work. It's mm. like, you know, if you if you got a BBL, which is Brazilian butt, bu- Brazilian butt lift, right? Well, what is the... Uh, whatever. Uh, okay, I get can, it. Can I we guess. talk about real quick? Like <laughs> our, butt, our butt lifts, how prevalent are they now? It's it's a real thing. You see a lot of people have them. Like you take fat from your midsection, your triceps, and you inject it into your butt. Whoa! And because what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I I knew that it was somewhat of a thing. I just don't know how prevalent it is because I just I don't know anyone that has done that. So it's, 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 it's very common these days. Very, very common. And do you think it's especially prevalent in the lifestyle fitness influencer world? It depends because you can tell if someone has work done because their quads and their hamstrings, it doesn't matches their glutes. Mm. So if you have like really skinny legs and then you have a huge butt, that doesn't make sense. You know, Mm. like there are a lot of athletes like fitness influencers who have worked their butts off to get where they're at, like hip thrust, doing a lot of work. And it takes years to build, you know, so there are people you can you can definitely get that look naturally. Mm -hmm. So but you have to be willing to put in the work. And that's where a lot of people don't want to put in the work. So they just go and like get it done. Is it I mean, devil's advocate, if let's say someone got work done, Mm -hmm. which do you great. I love it. Do, Do you? Do you but what if what if that is inspiring to someone in a way again like okay cool you got work done you don't say anything about it but you you might what if you're actually giving off good advice on how to get there is that a bad thing or a good thing like all right i got this brazilian butt lift which i didn't know is a thing god bless it uh <laughs> but but like if there was an actual exercise and diet regimen to be able to achieve that for example, naturally with hard work and someone is like, cool, I see this person. I like the way it looks and I'm going to achieve it naturally. Is that overall a good thing? Or is it really, is it really convoluted? I think what Anne's saying is just, and not to put words in your mouth, but it's the deceiving factor of some of the industry where really turns me off when you don't necessarily know what they're representing is also the work that they're putting in. And again, I don't know anyone in the industry really, so I can't I, I can't speak about that. But as we all know with Instagram specifically is you can present yourself in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. There are a number of tools. 
injections, butt lift, whatever are is one of the ways you can manipulate your audience to make you think you're something that you're actually not. And I think that's what I would have a problem with too. Now, will I am I going to spend the time to figure out if you're fabricating? No. But if I'm next to a fitness trainer like Ann or JP and they're like that seems weird, I'm going to trust that opinion that that, that that that's weird because they're they do that for a living. Actually, that's a good point. If I'm like following a, a male fitness person on Instagram and he's telling me to do all these like workouts and you're going to you're going to look like me in six months and I follow it to a T and I don't look like that person in six months because I don't know if that dude took roids, mm-hmm. if that dude got injections, he, he did a Brazilian butt lift on his biceps. <laughs> like I would be discouraged and now I might not work out anymore. And that I guess that's like just a, a potential equivalent of mm-hmm. like, well, shit, if I'm putting in that work, but like. That dude has some secret that he's not telling. Well, especially when it's manipulate manipulative for money. Like oh, it's, that's the it's, worst. It's, I'm assuming it's, not it's, for money, yeah, but now it's, it's just one on. thing if you're like, "Hey, I do this and be like me, and this is how I work out my tricep." Cool. Like, you got you got a tricep lift. Like, good for you. Like, is, that a thing? is the is the content still good? Yo, good for you. JP's what? like shaking his head. Like, no, it's not a thing. Let's let's be fair. Are are men getting work done? You can get abs. You have. You can get surgically what? get abs. Shut you up. guys have to Google it. You can get surgery, and it'll make you look like you have a six pack. I remember when I used to watch MTV, a guy got chest implants and he got calf implants. Well, not the same oh, guy, I've but heard about the Johnny calf Drama implants. On yes, Johnny yeah. Drama on Entourage. What, did he ever get calf implants? I don't talks remember. About them but all that the was time. the conversation. Yeah. Anyways, so people are getting fake. See, what's crazy about fake abs is abs have a utility. Mm-hmm. Like a strong core, to my vague knowledge, strong it's just balance. It's strong everything. Your yeah. back will be better. You, you, I literally just straightened up as we're yeah. talking about. Oh, we're talking about core. Oh, <laughs> oh, let me get fixed my posture real quick. It's that's crazy. So they'll fake abs. There's a lot. See, that's the thing with like me. I've almost it's almost been five years now since I've been doing personal training, being in the fitness industry, and my eyes have literally just opened up throughout the years. And like my ultimate goal is to just help people become a healthier version of themselves and a happier version of themselves because there's so many people who are unhappy because of their fitness, because of food. And when we talked about food, it's really hard to get that balance. You Mm. know what I mean? Because it plays such a role in our lives. We can't just quit food. You know, talk to me a little bit about how you work with your clients, because I think that's interesting for me. I'll be really honest with you. When I go to the gym and a trainer approaches me, I try to avoid them so fast. Like I I just get anxious. I don't like what are you working on today? My back. You're doing your back wrong. I just don't want to talk to them. Yeah. But for context, too, you're also going to a gym like 24 where they're it's the literal equivalent of ambulance chasing mm-hmm. where they're like trying to look for people doing a wrong move so they could casually come up to you and be like, oh, what are you working on? Oh, did, you're doing it wrong. I can help you. Which, like, and I, you said you left. Like, you, you you weren't a part of that. Like, when you were doing, you worked, You said you worked at Crunch. Yeah, I worked like, as a front desk rep. Mm, mm. Check because, you in. Because that's morning. what I mean. Like, that type of trainer, the trainer who works for a major fitness company is trying to churn out clients and build clients because it's all part of a sales program that's the type of trainer that you're deflecting because i i know where you go to 
Yeah. I, I know where you work out. So that's what I, I just want to provide that context. Yeah. When you're like, when you're trying to get by the greasy trainer who's trying to like talk you up into a program, like, yeah, we all are because that's not how we're trying to start a training relationship. But, but, and again, I have had trainers in some capacity based on, I like the, the flow and, and, and I'm assuming this is how a majority of your business comes in. You said through Instagram, it's people looking for you for mm-hmm. help as opposed to you actively out there like pounding doors right. and saying like, you need any help. No, like they're coming to you for something. Um, like what's, I'm curious, like what's like the average amount of time you work with someone? Is there an ideal time? Are you just there for as long as they need you? What does that look like? So before I answer that question, being a personal trainer, being a coach for anyone who's interested in pursuing this, you have to love people and you have to love fitness. If you're doing this just for the money, for the fame, you're going to burn out real quick because let me tell you the emotional and mental labor that goes into this as a great coach, by the way, you're very invested. It's draining at the end of the day when you, let's say you train 10 clients and they come in and they have their baggage from work or they're mad at their husband or their wife, girlfriend, whatever. And they vent to you. Like that's a lot of energy throughout the day, you know? So sometimes when I come home, I look at JPM like, babe, just give me an hour of silence like Mm. let me just decompress you know so when I work with someone I would realistically like to work with them for at least three months because you can't get results that are sustainable in just a month Mm. like even if you work well with me five times a week like you might lose that weight but let's say you quit and you go do this on your own are you still going to have that motivation or will you retain enough knowledge from me to keep going so I love when clients stay, I've had clients stay with me since 2014. Nice. And they stay with me. JP always like tells me, like they stay with me because they like me, you know? <laughs> like they like me as a person. We've become really good friends. You know, we text every day, we party together. I, I party and trick with my clients. I'm not even gonna lie. They become some of my best friends. Like we are on this journey of life together. You know, but if I were to work with you, I would want to work with you for at least three months. And I would tell you what's really real. Like, Eli, if you work out with me and you go home and you have five breakfast burritos, you're not going to see results. You know, I I make my clients accountable because I can only control so much of what you do when you're with me. But when you go home and it's late at night, you had a rough day at work, you want to go to the fridge, you want to eat your like pain away or your stress, whatever, I can't control that. Like that's on you. And I always tell all of my clients, just because you hired me as a trainer doesn't mean that you're going to get results. At the end of the day, it's on you. I'm just here to coach and guide you on this journey, but everything, the work, the effort, the nutrition, it's all on you. And I wanna empower my clients to know that they are in control and that, hey, if I work my ass off in the gym and in the kitchen, I'm gonna get the results. Like I want them to feel like this is for them, not because like, oh, my trainer is making me healthy. No, like you're making yourself healthy. Like I'm literally here to guide you. Do you have to reprogram people that come in? Like a girl might come in like, I'm here for revenge bot. I just like broke up on my man. And like, do you have to reprogram them to think? Because that's a really valuable way of like, Mm -hmm. I can't do everything for you. I'm going to provide you the guidance. We're going to work out real hard here. You might send them home with like a diet plan to help them in times of need. But like, do you find people coming in for the wrong motivation? And then you have to like give them some different... 
for life the most, coaching? For the most part, a lot of my clients, we share the same mindset. We want to live a long, healthy, happy, strong life. Mm-hmm. And the girls who want, you know, just a quick fix, like the summertime body, like they don't reach out to me. All of my clients who reached out to me, they know that I'm here for the long run and we're going to put in real work. And changing the mindset's really tough when people are stuck in a certain way. Like, let's say my client's making super great progress, lifting heavier than ever before, and she steps on the scale and the scale goes up. A lot of women and men too, they're obsessed with these three digits. They define their worth and their happiness because of these three digits. And I have to do a lot of like emotional, like reprogramming, not just emotional, but mental, and let them know like, this is muscle that you're gaining. That's why your weight is like going up or hey, maybe because you ate something a little saltier today, you might be bloated. Like you have to really guide them and really be patient with them because working out and eating right isn't easy. No. Doesn't that make your business hard when it feels like one of the main goals of, of being as good of a trainer as you are in mm-hmm. is giving people the education and tools for them to be better and be healthier. Which seems to me, if you're doing your job, you're almost training yourself out of one Mm -hmm. all the time, right? You just talked about, we have, I would like at least three months. Let's say you're getting tons of people doing three months. Mm -hmm. You're affecting those people's lives. You've shifted them in a new direction. But does that mean every three months it's, I need a new set of people to to work with because I set them in a new direction and I'm happy for them and cuz I have the same feeling Eli and I talk about this when I go to a when I go to a doctor or when I go to a dentist it's like they earn more money when they find more things wrong with me and I I hope they don't mm-hmm. but it's just like this weird where you're you're setting people right mm-hmm. But does that make the business side harder because once they, once you set people right, you almost have to like, like is it your set goal them to free? set them so right they yeah. don't need you? That's my goal though. Yeah. Like I've told all my clients, my goal is for you not to need me as a trainer. You can need me as a friend. I'll always be there. But my success is seeing people go on and thrive in their health and fitness journey without me. Because if I was a, a trainer and a coach who just wanted the money, I'd be like, yeah, stay with me forever. Stay with me forever. But no, I feel accomplished when a person feels so confident in themselves that they can go out to the gym, lift weights, especially females. They're so intimidated by the weight room. But to see female clients go and do their own thing, that to me is one of my biggest successes. And yeah, it's hard on me financially. Let's say if I don't have new clients for the next month, but when I went into this career, it was never about the money. And my rates are much, much cheaper than a lot of other trainers I know. And I get a lot of shit from my friends and family, like you need to charge more, you need to know your worth. But at the same time, I know what it's like to struggle with money. I know what it's like to wanna have a trainer or to eat right, but you can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So for me, I rather struggle a little bit and be able to help somebody because this is what I'm put on the earth for. I'm here to help other people. And hey, if I make enough to just pay my rent, you know what I mean? I'm happy with that. And people might think I'm crazy. Like, no, you need to make more money. But I've been there. I've made like the corporate wages and like I wasn't fulfilled. But here I literally make a third of what I used to. Mm -hmm. Like JP knows we used to struggle a lot with like personal training. Imagine making 1200 a month. 
Just mm-hmm. imagine making 1200 a yeah, month. In Orange County, that's not flying. That's not flying. And you're fixed. Like at one point, because I have mistakes I've made, my fixed like uh, expenses per month was 2300 2300 right? That's and out the door before you have. Out the door before I even make anything. And I was only making 1200 for a couple of months, right? So what did I do? I went and I picked up a serving job. I did whatever it took so that I can keep my personal training business alive because I wasn't gonna go back to a corporate job or just do something stable. So this career, it's hard, but it drives me. It like fuels me as a person. And I wake up, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna be the best coach ever. And then I'm gonna hustle and market and show people what I'm capable of. Being someone that, actively has to present their own lifestyle, their own body as content on social media. Do you experience, how much do you experience trolling, bullying, or stalking? I used to have some mad haters on my page. I remember the first time I really experienced it was when I won Miss Vietnam. Literally, couple hours after I had one, I had these fake pages made of me and they're like, oh, she's fucking fake. She shouldn't have one. She got all this work done. They're like, she got her nose done, her chin done. Like it was weird shit. Like my chin done, really? Like I just have a strong jawline because I have it. She got fake elbows. I can spot Her hair isn't real. Like, and it's crazy because these people, whoever they were, they wouldn't stop. Even when I went on vacation during that time, I had constant hate on my page and I would delete and block these pages. Literally, they would make a new one all the time. And this went on for literally two months and I think they got tired of it and they just like let it be. But I remember that first time that I really experienced um, social media bullying, I cried. Like I broke down, I was just sobbing. I was just like, what did I ever do to these people? Like, I'm just here trying to live my life, sharing my experiences in hopes of helping other people. And like, I don't feel like I portray myself as like a snobby bitch or, oh, hey, look at me, my body's better than you. But even if you're the most positive, kind, genuine, nice person, there's always gonna be someone out there who doesn't like you just because they don't like you. And I'm sure you guys know that being on social media and having like even a small presence. Like I don't have a lot of followers compared to a lot of fitness influencers, but no matter what you do, there's always gonna be someone who doesn't like you and you just have to grow thick, thick skin. And literally I have really thick skin now because you know, as you guys know, my mom passed away. Ever since that day, nothing phases me. Nothing no one can say can phase me. I rarely get hateful comments these days and if i do i just block them it's like my time here on earth is so short like i can't spend it on you you also don't invite that energy the way others do and like and again people will bring negative energy even if you're a positive person that's just what they're gonna do because they feel like you'll never answer you'll never they're probably just trying to get a response yeah they want to trigger you yeah yeah so but I, i think what's changed with your page and why i genuinely like you're a you're one of the best follows in the fitness community as opposed to just everyone because it's it's this perfect mingling. Again, you're a foodie, but you're also going to interesting things. You have a realistic idea and representation of your own body. You're successful and what success means to you is shown through it. It's not about how wealthy you are, how many clients you have. It's about the quality of clients that you do have. So it's a better follow because everyone else – 
I don't follow that many fitness people to begin with, but because I'm not very interested in what a lot of them have to say, I, I love following like the prehab. There's a there's a page called like the prehab guys. I'll find the actual Instagram, but it's a great account because the way you talk about kind of like the mental stability in fitness, these guys talk about all the prehab stuff you can do and all their videos are just funny videos of, hey, if your back doesn't hurt yet, still do this exercise. <laughs> like, hey, people, elbows hurt. So like do this exercise. It's like really fun and they show you exactly how to do it and you're on. So it's called the prehab as okay. opposed to people going out and finding like, because my back hurts, what do I do? It's usually too late. Mm -hmm. Like there's stuff that you can fix, but like they're doing like prehab. I just really just search Instagram for the prehab guys. It's a really fun account. Um, so I appreciate that. And I see that. Um, how do we feel about our relationship with food? Everybody, did we get any further? Are we still just as confused? I mean, for, for me, my relationship food is uh, eliminating the extremities. Mm. So that's really I, big. I'm I'm never realistically the way that i want to socialize i'm never gonna be the top 10 percent fit that i maybe could be because i have a physicality that could be driven like i'm an able-bodied person right i could work out a lot more mm -hmm. i could do that maybe mentally i'm not there either i will never get there so i have totally written that off but what i've also done is i'm looking at what I could be the bottom 30% of what I could be because of how much I love food, how much I'm surrounded by it and what it can actually do to me. I mean, I have a, a history of diabetes in my family. I have a history of high cholesterol and heart issues in my family. The more I start going to the bottom side of that spectrum is like, I'm going to be 52 years old when I have a heart attack, if not 45 if not 39, if, if I let that food take control for me. So for me, if I can eliminate the bottom 30 and the top 10 and do my best to get as close to as fit as possible while not eliminating the things that are essential to my life, mm. that's, that's the way I live. So I have to build it into my schedule. I have to build fitness into my schedule. I have to play soccer on Wednesdays, otherwise I'm just not gonna do something active. I have to jump into a boot camp when I see one because it'll just remind me of doing things that are active. And then do your, I'm, and at the end of the day, in order to, to not get in that bottom 30, I have to eat, boring, there are boring meals. And I think that's the hardest thing. If you're a true food beast, you fucking hate that. Every meal you want different. Every meal you want new. Every meal you want to be something, a new experience. Guys, every dinner I have is not a giant pizza. It's I, I enjoy the giant pizza so much more when the night before I have like steel cut oats and air fried shrimp. Like it's just what happens. So that there is a balance. Again, food Instagram is no different than fitness Instagram. We are lying to you <laughs> i am staging my food hey Anne. mcdonald's doesn't look that fucking good i make it that good thanks for the money mcdonald's hey and izzy producer here um i think one thing that i think our listeners might find interesting what does your your daily diet kind of look like like what's a baseline of what your breakfast lunch dinner maybe snacks well 
What does a typical day look like for Ann Fung? So I want to thank my amazing boyfriend for cooking all my meals because he literally cooks all our meals for us. Um, in the morning, I'll either have a pita sandwich, two eggs on pita bread with some type of hummus or garlic dip. I'll have a protein shake after that. I get hungry really fast because of the way I train. Mm -hmm. So I require a lot more calories and a lot more food throughout the day. Like I'm already, I already had, I ate twice before I came here and I'm already hungry. Wow. Yeah. So I, um, I have like granola bars and stuff throughout the day, protein bars. Um, my lunch and dinners are usually the same thing. I'll have some type of carb, either white rice or brown rice with chicken. So we eat, we eat a lot of chicken, either chicken, ground turkey, or we have red meat maybe like once every three to four weeks or something like that. Mm. But it might... It might sound really repetitive, but it's all about the spices, how you season your food, like the mar the marinades really help. And I think what's really helped me is that I'm eating for my future, for my life. I really want to be healthy for my kids. I want to live a long life. And I think what really triggered me to become better was I watched my mom die. You know what I mean? She was laying in the hospital bed. She couldn't get up. She couldn't walk. She couldn't eat anything. So since I am in a person who's in the fitness industry and who's also an abled body person like I want to live my best life I want to wake up every day feeling pain-free you know so I really had to change my environment once I did hit my heaviest I literally just threw away like I this was before Mari Kondo came out but I definitely just <laughs> changed everything you know what I mean I just realized like why was I eating hot Cheetos every day you know, that's no need, but it was a habit. I was addicted to it. Like you said earlier, it was like, I needed that fix. So I just changed my environment. We really don't have a lot of unhealthy foods at the house. That's a good trick. Cause that like, is a good trick. Go enjoy yourself. yourself. Like when yeah. I get drunk or high and I come back home, I, at this point, especially since the last year I went through that fitness challenge, there's just like grapes. Yeah. And there's like, so like, I'll just like, what's the, now I'm like, feeling disappointed that I had a whole bag of grapes. But at the end of the day, I had a whole bag of grapes and not a whole bag of Cheetos. Like, yeah. You just got to change your environment. Uh, one of like the greatest tips I give to people is like, you wake up every day, what do you do? You go brush your teeth, right? You brush your teeth, you get ready at night, you brush your teeth. It's this habit. So why don't you make it a habit to just incorporate something little? And the more you do it, you brush your teeth because you don't want to get cavities. You don't want to get a root canal, right? Mm. So same thing with your health. If you just make healthier choices throughout the day, you don't have to go to the doctor because you have high blood pressure or because you have diabetes or whatever. You can prevent all these things, especially if it's hereditary in your family, you are able to prevent it. Now it's just a matter of training your mindset to actually do it. And remember, carbs is not the enemy. I eat a lot of carbs. I swear, like, a lot of my DMs are like, you eat white rice? I can't believe it. And it was just, you have to get informed. What I've done a lot more with nutrition is I've been reading more books about it. I buy a lot of ebooks. I listen to podcasts. I listen to well-informed nutritionists and not just influencers or whoever on social media. Like I'm listening to, and listening and reading to professionals, and I'm really absorbing and applying because you can read something, forget about it, but you have to apply what you learn. Are there any diets or trends that people should like? Kind of piss you off right now because you know they're probably like, "Dude, this is bad." This is bad. People are intermittent fasting. That's not good. 
they're not eating enough. I've had some friends who do it and they really enjoy it. I have friends who do keto. I, I personally haven't tried keto or intermittent fasting, so I personally can't speak on something I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I really try not to judge things unless I've experienced them. But at the end of the day, like you have to do what's best for you. And I just hope people do something healthy that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. If you can't keep doing it for the next 30, 40 years of your life, that's probably not something you should be doing. Okay, I like that. And where where can people find you for your training and what do you have going on that people can, can jump into? You can find me on Instagram at Anfung, A-N-N-E-P-H-U-N-G. Um, I currently train at Rise Above Fitness. We're located at, well, I, I mean, you can probably write, do I say that address? Yeah, yeah just look up Rise Above Fitness. <laughs> We're there. Um, JP and I, we do boot camps. We try to do them twice a month. There are drop-ins. You don't have to be a member at Rise Above to train with us. I'm working on some online programs because I want to reach more people. And I'm very like hands-on when I do it. So if you give me 110%, I'm going to give you 110%. And you get in what you, you get out what you put in when it comes to me. You know, so I'm excited for this year. I'm 30 now. I know it's not old, but it's different once you say, hey, I'm 30. Let's go. Congrats on 30. Thank you. Trying congratulations. To be yeah. You know, driving strong. Guys, if you don't follow Infung already, please go follow her. She's a great follow. Um, tell a friend about her. Tell a friend about this podcast. My name is Eli A. Ruth. You can find me at Book of Eli. Jeffrey, where can people follow you? Uh, that's Jeff with a G, Jeffrey Kutnick, and I can also completely validate those boot camps because I went went to one a couple weeks ago and got my ass kicked and will be coming back. So if you're in SoCal, if you're in Orange County, come hang out with Ann and I and JP. Boom, guys. Until next week, leave a review. Love you. Thank you. <laughs>